I don't know if you're aware of this, but the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Now, we know that Jesus is the, the church is, exists because of Jesus. And so when we look in, in the newspapers and we read about how crazy things get and, and what's going on in the world, and, and, and you know what? The church is the hope of the world, and the church is made up of people, individuals, you and I. And so we are the ones who God has commissioned to bring hope to a place that sometimes has no hope. And so, um, uh, you know, our nation needs hope. You know, every time uh, it just uh, more and more freedoms get taken away, more and more restrictions get placed on us, and um, uh, it's the responsibility of the church to stand up and to take a stand, even when it seems like maybe so, supposedly the majority is, is, is against the things that we believe. But the church is the hope of the world. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. Um, we thank you that that you are here with us, that any two believers that are gathered together, that you are there in their midst. And Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit in this place and give us understanding of your word. Lord, every time we open up your word, you say that there's a, there's a desire, there's something that it wants to accomplish. And so let your word accomplish all that uh, your heart's desire is tonight. Um, Lord, we can read something that's thousands of years old, and yet it is every bit as fresh as it was when it was penned by Moses. And so, God, speak by your spirit and give us ears to hear what you want to say. Lord, we lift up our nation to you, and we pray, O oh God, that your people would stand for righteousness and holiness and stand for your word. The Lord, we would be a people that do not compromise, that there would be a distinction between, um, between us and between the world. You tell us that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. You tell us in, in, in the Revelation, it says, come out from among them and be a separate people. Lord, it's your heart's desire that we would be a distinctive people in this place that you've called us to be. And we need your strength and your help to do that. Ask, uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, have a seat. If you would, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 10. <clears throat> Actually, you know what? Uh, Exodus chapter 8. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, you will probably agree with me, hopefully, that prior, uh, you might not even, you might not, because you may not have known this, maybe when you became a follower of Christ, you, you, you got this, but uh, prior to Jesus, you were under the devil's control. Now, I know when you hear that, you go, there is no way that, what are you trying to say, I was possessed by the devil? No. I'm saying that prior to Jesus, you were under the control of the devil. Now, you might think, well, you, you might disagree with that, but this is what the Bible says. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you can turn there in your Bibles if you want to, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm reading out of the Amplified Bible. It says, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and fashion of this world you were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that constantly walks in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who are against the God, against the purposes of God. Okay, let me read that again. This is hopefully for you past tense, as it was for me. You know, if you'd have said to me that uh, you know you are being influenced. Uh, by the devil and his demons, and you are under the sway and the control of the world and everything that goes against God. I would have said, that's crazy. I am not all that. I mean, that's like a really bad person. I'm not that. Well, this is what the Bible says to the church at Ephesus. Paul writes in verse 2, chapter 2, in which you at one time walked habitually. And that's a key word. You habitually went after evil. You habitually went your own way. You habitually did things that abuse you and abuse other people. And maybe you cared or maybe you didn't, but the key is you habitually did it. Okay? That's, what, that's the truth. Okay? You were following the course and the fashion of this world. You were under the sway of the tendency of this present age. Okay? The influence, uh, the music, the media, uh, the... the um, uh, the, the worldliness, which those things which are against Christ, they're, they're an influence. There's an there's a, there's a ungodly influence in the world, and it's not just in Las Vegas. We're called Sin City, but I guess what? I'm from Riverside, California. Riverside is Sin City, too. 
It's under the sway of the evil one. There are powers and rulers and principalities that are, that are against God, and they're everywhere you go. It's just that some places they're all out in the open more than they are other places. Okay, but they're still there. So you are obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience. Those are the careless, the rebellious, the unbelieving, who go against the purposes of God. When I was a non-believer, I did not intentionally go against the purposes of God because I didn't know what the purposes of God were, nor did I care. I mean, I, you know, that's not God's purpose for you. I don't care. I mean, I'm not really concerned about God's purposes for me. And so that's the way that I, I was a son of disobedience. I was careless, rebellious, and unbelieving, and I went against the purposes of God, both against his precepts and his specific purposes for me. Verse 3 says, Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passion of our flesh. You know, if it feels good, do it. Whatever you feel like doing. And I tell you, one of the things that concerns me so much about young people today is our young people are a feelings-oriented people. It is all about what I feel. It's what I like. Why didn't you go there? I didn't like it. What about this? Well, it just really didn't do anything for me. Well, how come you didn't finish your assignment? I didn't feel like doing it. It doesn't matter what you feel. You know, that's very child. Children are based on feelings alone. And as they get older, hopefully they will learn you can't live your life by feelings. You have to live your life by precepts and conviction. So among these were you, you once lived and conducted yourselves in the passion of your flesh. You, your, our behavior was governed by our corrupt and sensual nature. That is the truth. Obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imagination, uh, imaginings, we were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. That's the truth about where we were before Christ. No matter how bad or good you thought you were or someone else thought you were, without Christ, that's where we are because there's nothing else to tell us any different. We go, we, you know, we go to the, the least common denominator and we live our life based on what we think and based on what we feel and, and, and what we want. Sometimes that hurts others. Sometimes that hurts us. Sometimes it doesn't hurt others, but it doesn't matter because that's all we know. That's who we were. And if you want to read the rest of Ephesians chapter 2, then, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us and talks about all that God's done for us. But I'm just going to leave you with that. Okay? Okay. And then uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says that we were blind. Not physically blind, but spiritually blind. And so it backs up what it says in Ephesians. It says... For the God of this world, that is Satan and his minions, but in particular Satan, has blinded the unbelievers' eyes. No, minds. See, it's one thing if your eyes are blinded. It's another thing if your mind is blinded. Because if your mind is blinded, it doesn't matter if you can see or not. Because you can't see what's going on spiritually. For the God, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the unbelievers' minds that they should not discern the truth and that he prevents them from seeing and illuminating the illuminating light of the glory of the of the uh, the gospel of the glory of Christ the Messiah who is in the image and likeness of God so did you get that Satan blinds our minds so we can't see and specifically he blinds our minds so we cannot see Jesus or the ways of Jesus or the word of God but praise the Lord, we have spiritual sight because of Christ Jesus. All right, so here's a definition of compromise. Well, better yet, give me your best definition of compromise. Anybody? Huh? Okay, giving up something for someone else's benefit. In other words, you compromise yourself or you go without. Give me another definition, compromise. Huh? Making it work? Okay, tell you what, all right, uh, you want me to meet you at the 50-yard line. I have no intention of moving, but if that's where you want me to meet you, I will compromise and meet you halfway. 
By the way, that's not a, a, a marriage doesn't work like that. A marriage is not 50-50. A marriage is 100-0. And that means you give 100% even if you get zero back. Why? Because that's the way God loves us. Yeah, that's right. Do I give Jesus 110% every time? No. Does he still love me? Yes. Okay, so then I got to give 100%. Okay. Another definition, compromise. Yes, in the back, sir. Behind the booth. Agreement. Like you agree, you all com- you come to some compromise and an agreement. Okay, what else? We got that that part down. There's another definition. Huh? What's that? Create fault, compromise. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you like you weaken the integrity of something. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Accept it. You know what? Just gonna deal with it. Accept it. You know what? Compromise. Yeah, could be. Could be. What else? Jeopardizing something. Heard another word. Oh. Sidestepping your beliefs, compromising in values, a uh, uh, definition, weaken uh, a reputation or a principle by accepting standards that are lower than is desirable. Okay, yielding, but not in a positive way. Like it's one thing to yield or humble yourself to, for, for something good. It's another thing to yield and to weaken a standard for a lower standard. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're accepting a lower, like this is the standard, but we're going to compromise and we're going to do this. Okay. Um, uh, Example, commercial pressures could compromise safety. Um, Accept standards that are lower than is desirable. Here's God's standard for me. This is God's standard, but I am going to compromise that to bring into disrepute or danger by indiscreet, foolish, or reckless behavior, situations in which his troops could be compromised. Okay, not not a good thing. Conduct unbecoming. will compromise the standard for everyone. You're in the military, and, and the man next to you is responsible for your life, and you're responsible for his life, and he does something foolish on the battlefield. That could compromise the whole troop, not just one, but everybody. Could get everybody killed. <laughs> that does not go over well on the battlefield, I'm told. I'm not a soldier, but my dad was. But not that he ever told me that either. But <laughs> And so... Um, but you heard the gospel message. You heard the truth about yourself. We got to know the truth about ourselves before we can come to the truth of God. We got to know where we are. And the Bible doesn't hold back. It tells us the truth of where we are, that there's nothing within us that will come to God on our own because we're bent on evil and we're bent on our own way and we're selfish and prideful. We're not going to humble ourselves unless he comes and helps us. And he does that by opening our minds and giving us a vision of who Jesus is. And and by his grace, he leads us into repentance and we respond to that. You've heard the gospel message. Uh, You're all in. You heard that, that your sins could be forgiven. And maybe for the first time, you realize that your life apart from Christ was a a sinful life. Oh, you're a sinner. All of us are, and we do sin even now, but positionally before God, you were marked as a sinner because your sins were not forgiven. And the only way that your sins could be forgiven is by you embracing Jesus, asking forgiveness, and turning and going in an opposite direction. And you maybe responded to that, and you said, you know what, Jesus, come into my life and and take over and give me a new spirit. And you know what? If you have a plan or a purpose for me, I want to join you in what you're doing. And I say, yes, Jesus. And like, you know, like there's a party in heaven. Yay. Uh, the, the, there's joy in the presence of the angels. Your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life. You're in. You don't know anything but that. All you know is you're in. 
you're on the bus, and if you were to die that a minute from then, you would go to heaven, which a day before that, you would have gone to hell for all eternity. And you're thankful, and you go, man, God, this is awesome. I mean, what do I owe you? I mean, can I pay you something? Can I give you something back? And the Lord says, yes, give me your life. Give me everything, just like I gave everything to get you to this point. Now you give me everything back. And you say, all right, I'll do that. And it was a happy day. But it was not a happy day in hell. <laughs> Probably Satan got a little bit hot and bothered when he lost you. Uh, you were his agent of destruction. The Bible tells us that. You were his instrument of wrath. Um, you were on his favorite five phone call list. And, and Satan hated you, but it's okay because you hated him and you hated everybody else. And he was fine with that because he doesn't want you to love him. He wants you to hate him. He wants you to be a person of hate. But, but that's changed. And, and, and you're working and you, you've received God's word and you're growing in that. But it was not a happy day in, in hell. Uh, when you all of a sudden said, you know, I'm coming out of the darkness and going into the light. And now he wants to get his claws on you. Because you know what? Quite frankly, he wants you back. He doesn't want to just let you go. I mean, a lifetime of evil and a substantial investment in your, in your life and the destruction that you caused in your life and in the lives of other people, he does not want to let you go. But he can't get to you. He has to go through Jesus. He can't do that because the Bible says that no one will pluck you out of his hands. There's a little girl who figured it out. And she says, whenever Satan comes to me and tries to open the door of temptation, I mean, knocks on the door of, of temptation to pull me away from God, I just say, Jesus, will you get that? <laughs> Satan knocking. Get that for me, please. Ah, but what he can do. It's caused us to go down that slippery slope of compromise. Satan can't get to us. He can't grab us and bring us back, but he tries to very slowly draw us back. He's not going to tell you what he's up to. It's one bite at a time. It's a slow process. It's a slow, slow process of spiritual dullness, of compromise. Well, the standard was here. Yeah, but, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of like down here now. I'll tell you another thing that just drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. I mean, I don't even know what the answer. I mean, I know what the answer is. I'm not judging. I'm just saying it just drives me crazy. There's a sheer number of people, in particular young people, that live together and don't even care about marriage, who are Christians, who've grown up in the church. And are shacking up with somebody. I just heard last week of another young lady that grew up in youth, grew up in youth mission. And I can't, I can't believe she's living with somebody. I can't believe it. And I don't want to, like, call her on her job and go, what's going on? You know, like, man, that's, you want to have a bad day? You know, that would be a bad day. But I, I want to talk to her and say, I heard something. I don't know if it's true. I, I, are you living with your boyfriend? Wait, what are you thinking? Because here is the standard. And you know the standard. See, that's the thing. When you're a follower of Jesus, you know the standard. But you just choose to live below that. And how did that happen? Well, I don't know. But it's a standard. I know that the millennial generation, they're not into commitment. Oh, they want to get married just later on. So they'd rather try it out first. They give it a shot, see how it goes. You want all the benefits of marriage, but they don't want the covenant of marriage. The only problem with that, God says, if there's no covenant, there's no marriage because there's no real commitment. You have to understand covenant before you get married. If you don't understand covenant, don't get married because covenant is till the day I die. Till the day I die. Whether I get zero or I get 100%. See, uh, that's commitment. <laughs> we should be afraid of that kind of commitment. and We should make sure we're ready for that kind of commitment before we say I do before God and men. Amen? I'm just making sure you're with me here. The story of Pharaoh and Moses is an illustration of how Satan attempts to get us to compromise. Egypt represents the world, the influence to draw you into sin, to draw us back to the old way of life, to draw us back to the old habits, to draw us back to the old way of slavery. Turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11. Stay there in Ephesians. We have, I mean, in a, who am 
I said Ephesians, Joseph did. In, in Exodus, uh, um, uh, Numbers chapter 11, the children of Israel, when they were released and had everything that they needed, still wanted to go back. They wanted to compromise. Numbers 11.1 1 says, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned against them and consumed some of them from the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the, same, so the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. And the rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we used to eat, uh, we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at except this manna. And manna was the standard. God said, I'm going to provide the absolute. This is a supernatural food. It is the absolute perfect nutrition. Okay? This is all you need. And they said, no, we don't want that. And so they wanted to compromise and go back to Egypt to be slaves again. No, no, you've already been delivered out of Egypt. No, we want to go back to Egypt because we're tired of this manna. And the Lord's like, all right, you want meat? I'll give you meat, <laughs> you know. Oh, man. Moses to Pharaoh. Well, Pharaoh said this to Moses. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then he gave orders to have them make bricks without straw, twice as hard, same quota. Now, listen, God is patient and long-suffering and not wanting any to perish. The Lord doesn't take delight in the death of the wicked. God's giving Pharaoh opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to cooperate. And if we look at these plagues next week, we'll start to look at the, specifically these other plagues. Uh, uh, they don't start, I mean, they start off bad. I mean, like last week, it was the, the River Nile turning to blood. How many of you would agree that's a bad place to be, right? That's not good. I mean, fresh water is hard to find, and it stinks like nasty. And there's all kind of crazy animals that are drawn to that and bugs and whatever. All right, and that's a bad place to be. But guess what? Each of these each of these plagues are going to get worse and worse and worse. As if, as if God is saying, listen, Pharaoh, you know, soften your heart. Don't be so hard-headed. Okay? I'm, 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 I'm giving you opportunities because God's patient. He's long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. But God doesn't want to be rough. Can I, can I say that about God? God does not want to be rough, but he will be if that's what it takes. Right? Saul of Tarsus, who was Satan's number one man. I mean, he was his number one hit man, and he's on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and to throw them in the prison, and he has an encounter with Jesus where he gets, well, I don't, it doesn't actually say he got knocked to the ground, or does it? I think it does. But he has an encounter with Jesus, and he's blinded for three days, and the Lord's like, listen, Saul, I've been trying to tell you all your life, and now I have to be rough with you. I mean, you know, in a loving way, like a loving father, not abusive, rough. Do you get that? I'm not talking about, you know, slapping you upside your head, but God will do those things. He'll do whatever it takes. There are some people who will say, if God hadn't put me where I was, I would have never came to him. Right? God has to be rough sometimes. Sometimes he has to let us get the, you know, well, we want this. Okay, you want it? Here you go. Oh, Lord, I didn't want that. Well, you asked for it, right? Ah. He'll do whatever it takes to get our attention because eternity is at stake. And he loves us too much to let us go our own way. David said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, the staff, that, that, that long stick with a curved end. You know, shepherd had to have the rod and the staff because every once in a while you, know, you keep the, the bears and the, you know, the, the wolves, you keep those away. But every once in a while you have a little wayward sheep and that sheep will lead other sheep away and you have to kind of thump them a little bit. And, God, you know, and the shepherd's like, listen, don't do that. Don't go over there. Hey, back up. You know, bonk. Okay, <laughs> they get it. They get it, right? 
because that's how we are as sheep. The scripture says all men like sheep have gone astray. Things haven't changed a whole lot. I've heard that a shepherd at times will take a wayward sheep and break a leg because it keeps wandering and keeps wandering and keeps wandering, and then others wander away too. And But then that shepherd will put that, in particular, lamb on his shoulders and carry him. And then after that leg heals, that he never wanders away again. I've heard that. I don't know it to be true. And I'm not saying that God will break your leg. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But you know what? It's better to be bruised uh, and come to repentance than to fall away from God altogether. For that lamb, it's better to be a broken leg than to be a leg of lamb. I wrote that down. I know. God will send conviction. You ever had that? You know, you're going off in this area. God sends conviction. He says, come on now. This isn't right. This isn't right. And you, you're hearing God's voice, but you're ignoring it. And that voice is getting fainter and fainter and fainter the further you go. And he's trying. he sends someone in your path. You get a phone call. Aunt Gertrude comes by. These are all personal stories. I will not bore you with, but it's like God's trying to speak. I had an Aunt Gertrude, you know, and, 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 and on a particularly sinful night when I was in high school, she came by my house. I could not believe it. Anyway, God was trying to speak, but I wasn't a Christian, so I wasn't getting it, right? Uh, hard-headed. You know, he'll, he'll send some conviction. Watch out. Don't go there. That's not good. Be careful, and then thump with the rod. <laughs> oh, ow, that hurts. Why? So we won't destroy our lives. Because the enemy wants to destroy our lives. But that's not God's heart. He says, I've come that you may have life, and that life more abundant. So the Lord's trying to be easy on Pharaoh, but his heart is getting harder and harder and harder. And the Lord says, all right, you want to harden your heart? I will harden it. Proverbs 28 says, evil men understand, understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. Yeah, evil men don't understand judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. Proverbs 16 said, the Lord has made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for the day of evil. So, Pharaoh, you want to be my instrument of peace and righteousness? I put you up there, Pharaoh. Now you're going to be my instrument of wrath. Series of plagues hit. We'll go over some of those. They grew in intensity. Egypt worshipped many, many gods. Each of these plagues were levied against a particular god. Blood in the Nile. Next week, we'll look at the frogs that land, at least the fullness of it. Apparently, the Egyptians bowed down at the temple of Kermit. Frogs, you guys didn't get that, did you? Never mind. Never mind. Compromise. Look at chapter 8 of Exodus, verse 25 through 32. Chapter 8, verse 25. This is after the frogs, gnats, and flies. <laughs> Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. Wait, wait, Pharaoh, you, he's loosening up. Let's see, after the river Nile has been turned to blood, after the gnats or lice, and we'll get into that next week. I mean, like, that would not be enough for you. After the flies, big horse flies, all right, all over the land of Egypt. After that, Pharaoh has had enough and he says, you know what? You call for Moses, which is interesting. He calls for Moses, which means, okay, he recognizes this is the hand of God. And, and Aaron and says, go sacrifice your God to your God within the land. Sacrifice your God within the land. Uh, everybody say this. Don't go too far. Say that. Don't go too far. Don't go too far. Okay, now, now you, go ahead, sacrifice, but stay here. Stay here. Look at verse 25 through 32. But Moses said, it is not right to do so, for we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands. My Bible says that's 60 miles. So from here to what? What's 60 miles from here? State line, maybe? Parump? Yeah, from here to Parump. Now, God's being tender with Pharaoh. Listen, Pharaoh, if you don't want to just straight out let the people go, send them to Pahrump. And guess what? Mo Moses says, uh, 
we'll, we'll go, and we'll come back, right? Does he say that? We'll go sacrifice to Moses and Aaron. Just so if we sacrifice, we must go three days journey to your wilderness to find the Lord as He commands us. But but He wasn't planning on going a three day journey and just taking off. They were going to go three days and come back. So Pharaoh, here's a little appetizer for you. Let them go for three days. They'll be back. Ah, okay. Verse twenty eight. And Pharaoh said, "I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only." You shall not go very far away and then make supplication for me. Uh, Moses says, um, verse 29, Behold, I'm going out from you and shall make supplication to the Lord that the swarms of insects may depart from Pharaoh and his servants and his people tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again in not letting the people go to sacrifice. Moses went out from Pharaoh to make supplication. He prayed to the Lord. The Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of insect from Pharaoh and the servants of his people. Uh, not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, okay, you can go, but don't go too far. Okay, compromise number one. Satan may say to you or his minions, okay, listen, you're going to be born again. You're going to be a follower of a Jesus Okay, but don't go too far. Okay? I mean, I mean, go sacrifice and play your little church game, but stay in Egypt. All right, all right, all right. You're born again. You go to worship. You know, hey, listen, you don't have to go to church every Sunday. God understands if you're going to worship on the golf course. You know, you want to worship at the lake. Okay? Ski slopes. You can worship during halftime of the game. If you, oh, wait, series is over. Never mind. Um, uh, don't go far from your old lifestyle. I mean, what's wrong with a, you know, with, with a little bit of smoke? Uh, you know, a little, I mean, it's a little affair here. And, you know, I mean, uh, don't be too fanatical. Uh, all right, all right, go to church. and but, but, you know, don't go too far. I mean, go on Christmas and Easter when everybody else goes. Don't be so narrow-minded. Now you think like, like, like Jesus rules every part of your life now? I mean, like, I mean, does Jesus tell you when to go to the bathroom? Well, okay, that's not the point, right? My body tells me when I need to go. By the way, God created that, but that's not the story. Okay? And then he says, make supplication for me. You know, pray for me. You know, hey, almost like, yeah, yeah, make supplication. Why would Pharaoh want prayer from Moses? You know, some people will tell you don't go too far. And then they'll say, hey, pray for me. And it's almost like, don't go too far from me either. I'll keep, keep me on your mind. You know, we can still live together. I mean, we can, we can still drink together. While you're at it, say a prayer for me. You know, don't leave me. I need you. I mean, who knows? You might even convert me. <laughs> right? Compromise. How many young people have done that in relationships where they've dated someone or gotten intimate with someone who wasn't a believer? And they thought that they were going to draw that person to Christ. And I used to tell them all the time, you know what? Stand up, man. Stand on that chair. Put your phone right there, buddy. Okay, pick me up. Pick me up. Pick me up. Lift me up to the Lord. Lift me up. Pick me up. No, pick me up physically. I know you can't. Plus, you got a bum shoulder, too. But watch this. But I can pull you down real easy, right? So I can pull you down real easy. Oh, no, 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 no. No, she promised she'll come to church, Pastor. She promised she'll come to church. When's she coming? Oh, Christmas? She says she'll come to Christmas. Oh, dude, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're not going to pull her up. She's going to pull you down. I've been in that situation. Don't pull somebody up. The Lord said, it's not your job to pull anybody up. I'll do that. And in fact, I can't pull her up until you get out of the way. Oh, Lord. That's not one. Compromise. Go ahead. A girl named Don Shelley waiting on the other side of town. She just needs about six, seven more years to grow up. <laughs> anyway. Ah. <sighs> You can't reach a non-believer through compromising your walk with Christ. 
I think the church thinks we can win America by compromising our lives. The church is the answer to the world. The church is the answer. The only shot America has is the church. Washington, D.C. isn't the answer. Oh, yeah, of course it's great to have uh, born-again politicians, and we're to pray for our leaders above us. But that's not the answer. The answer is the church. And we compromise so much that there's no distinction. And, you know, God is always about distinction. He created them male and female. That's distinction. There is darkness and there is light. There is distinction. There is heaven and there's hell. That's distinction. There's God Almighty and there's his creation. That's a distinction. And what we constantly try to do in America is erase the line of distinction. For this reason, a man will leave his, mo his father, mother and father and cleave together with his wife and become one flesh. That's distinctive. And yet, we want to erase that line and say, no, a man can be with another man, and a woman can be with another woman, and that can be okay. And by the way, if you disagree with that, then you're a bigot, and you're homophobic, and you're this, that, and the other. And it's like, no, we're just telling you what the Bible says. We want to remove the distinctives. What, what's evil, we call good, and what's good, we call evil. We remove the distinctives. Ah. <sighs> Chapter 10, don't go, don't go too far. If you want to be born again, go ahead, but don't go too far. Don't be leaving all your old friends or leaving your old lifestyle or all the things you used to do. <laughs> Compromise number one. Number two, chapter 10, verse 8 through 11. Chapter 10, verse 8 through 11. This is after the plague of the locust. Oh, great. Locusts just devour everything, everything, everything by the millions even locust pharaoh still hasn't figured it out verse 8 through 11 says this so moses and aaron were brought back to pharaoh and he said to them go serve the lord your god uh, who are the ones that are going <laughs> wait a minute why are you even asking us who's going with us pharaoh no go ahead and serve by the way who's going with you you know here's the answer pharaoh don't you worry about it all right and moses gives them the answer uh, he says, verse 9, Moses says, uh, we shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go. Uh, we must hold a feast to the Lord. Uh, then he said to them, thus may the Lord be with you. If I ever let your little ones go, take heed, for evil is in your mind. Verse 11, not so. Go now, the men among you. And serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Did you get that? Okay, listen, man. Don't go too far, first of all. Compromise number one. Compromise number two is don't multiply your faith to future generations. Do not multiply your faith to future generations. You know what? Leave the kids here. Leave the kids here. Don't, now see, you're, no, all you men, you know, go ahead. But I'm keeping the women and the children. Why? Because if I have the women and children, I know you're coming back. And that's what the world wants us to do. Leave your children here. Uh, we'll take care of the little ones. Uh, you know, uh, this, the, 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 let the school system teach your kids about morality. Let the, let the school system teach your kids about science and about who created everything? And that and the, we're all a function of random chance plus time. And the, the, our, if we go far enough back in our family tree, uh, we come from apes and monkeys. And, and that basically it's the strong who survive. And, and, and everything is in an evolutionary process. And, and you know what? When, when kids do crazy, outlandish, inhumane things... Why do the evolutionists get upset and get mad? Because they're only doing what you've been training them all the time. Listen, we started as amoeba, and then the strong survived. Then we became apes, and then Neanderthal, and the strong survived. There's no difference between that kind of behavior and what they've been taught uh, by modern science, quote-unquote. No, let us teach your kids. Let us teach your girls about morality. Let us teach your girls how they should dress. Let us teach your boys how they should talk and how they should treat women and how they should have so many girls. And let us do that. That's what the culture, that's what the world says. Leave your children behind. 
I've had couples that have said to me, and divorce is a painful thing. You know, our kids will get over it. And I've said, no, they won't. They won't get over it. By God's grace, they might. It's a painful, painful thing. Leave your kids behind. Listen, German pastor pre-World War II, Nazi Germany, Hitler's on the rise. Niemöller is his name. I'll read a quote from him in the end. Hitler began to realize that there was an evangelical church in Germany that was powerful. And they had the influence of the people. And so like a good politician, he does what every good politician does. He invites them to Berlin to a big party. And he wines and dines them. And he assures them that he has no evil intent. He's taking pictures with them. He's, he's, he's showing them how much he cares. And, he, oh, I'm with you. And it's all a lie. One pastor, Niemöller, walks up in the midst of all of these pastors. And he says to Hitler, he says, you know, Fuhrer, we are not concerned about the church. That is God's responsibility. He will take care of his church. Our concern is for the soul of Germany. And when he said that, all the other pastors backed up. And Hitler, being the shrewd politician that he was, realized they were distancing himself from him. And they weren't in agreement with that. And Hitler said this, Don't worry about the soul of Germany. Leave that to me. Folks, it is our responsibility to train up our children in the way that they should go. It is not the church's responsibility. It's not the youth pastor's responsibility. It sure ain't the school district's responsibility. It is our responsibility to pass on morality and virtue and value and conviction to our children. It is our responsibility, us. Just as much as we feed them food, just as much as we... They have a light switch when they click the light switch on. Just as much as as they have clothes on their back, it is our responsibility to teach them the ways of the Lord. And to teach them that it is not about how you feel. It is about what God says. I don't like that. Irrelevant. Doesn't mean a thing. What does God say? But we have to be living that life before we can pass it on. We will multiply to our children things of God or things of the flesh. Well, anyway, don't multiply your faith to the next generation. Here's the last one. Don't give everything. Look at verse 24. Don't give everything. Well, look at verse 21, darkness, and we'll get to these plagues. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be Darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Ooh, that had to be thick darkness. Like there was no, there was no moon. There was no reflection off the stars. This is pitch black. This is like Mammoth Cave in Utah. Black. You are afraid to step because you can't even see in front. Of you. It's so dark. It's like you feel it. <laughs> That's dark. Okay. Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. I told you God is a God of distinction. And while the Egyptians are groping around in darkness, the children of Israel got bright light. That's because God draws those distinctions. Try to do that, magicians. Tell the sun to stop shining right here. Can't do that. Yeah, going back, back in the darkness. Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock, too, will go with us. And I love this. Not a hoof will be left behind. For we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. Until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know what we shall serve the Lord. Uh, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. But I love what Moses says. First of all, Pharaoh says, you cannot go. Then he says, okay, 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 you can go, but don't go very far. 
And he says, okay, 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 you can go, but don't take your children with you. And then finally he says, okay, okay, you can go. You can even take your children, but leave the animals here. He wants like a security that they're coming back. No, uh, listen, this Pharaoh. Listen, Pharaoh. Moses says, let me tell you how we're going to do this. Not one hoof will be left behind. I love that. No, we're taking everything. We're taking our women. We're taking our children. And we're taking all the animals. You, all you're going to have is tracks in Egypt when we leave. We're taking everything. We're not, listen, Satan, you ripped us off. You know, we, we served you with everything we had. We didn't even know we were serving you. You were behind the scenes manipulating and stuff, getting us in all kind of crazy situations, trying to take us out. That didn't happen. Jesus rescued us. Now, we're not going back. You know what? Not a hoof will be left. You get nothing now, Satan. You get nothing. So we draw the line. And we say, no way. We're not compromising our dreams, our ambitions. We're not compromising our free time. We're not compromising our work time. We're not compromising our sexuality. We're not compromising our possessions. We're not compromising our family. We're not compromising our friends. We're not going back. Not a hoof will be left behind. Nothing. Satan, you get nothing. You tried to take everything, even the very throne of God, you get nothing. Nothing. Bible says he who is often reproved hardens his heart and that uh, he will be cut off and that without remedy. Pharaoh saw the awesome miracles like everybody else in Egypt. He had every opportunity to change. All he had to do was let the people go. He absolutely refused to do it. Sometimes the closer people are to spiritual things, the more they harden their heart. Pharaoh was right there. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. How much different this story would have been? I mean, after the Nile. You turn my Nile to blood. You know what? Go. (laughs) Go ahead. Oh, no. He wasn't having it. And he destroyed uh, uh, most of Egypt. Destroyed it. Ah. So, what have we learned today? Don't go very far is Satan's plan. Don't be fanatical. Don't be like reading your Bible every day. Okay, just because the church is open don't mean you have to be there, man. Just stay home. Don't, don't be fellowshipping like that. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't do that. Yeah. Don't pass on your faith to other people. Don't tell your friends, man, your old friends, you're not a Christian because they're going to think you're crazy or you're weird or, you know, you're going to walk around the robe and tambourines and some crazy hairstyle. Don't do that. Don't pass on your faith, man. Don't do that. Just keep it to yourself. Keep it private. Aren't you glad that what Jesus did wasn't private? It was very public. Oh, don't give everything. Come on, man. Don't give everything. Keep some of that stuff back. Because, you know, you might need to go back there one of these days. No. Uh Uh-uh, man. Done. Gone. Finished. Not going back. Not going back. So you got to listen to God's spirit, right? God will talk to you. Ask. He'll talk to you. If you say you don't hear God, read his word. He'll speak to you through his word. Be accountable. Hey, man, it's a real struggle for me. I need help. Hold me accountable. What does that mean? You need to ask me every day how I'm doing. Really? Yeah. It's accountability. Be willing to be accountable. Stay in fellowship. Stay in fellowship. Because what does Satan want to do? He wants to always isolate. That's what the wolves do, right? They don't go after the strongest elk in the herd. No way. They're going after the babies. They're going after the weak ones and the old ones that can't get away. The ones, you know, the ones with a crippled leg. That's the ones they're going. They, they want an easy kill. They're not, they're not trying to bring down an elephant. It's got to be real hard times in Africa for them and lions to go after an elephant. It's like, well, they, oh, no. You know, they're going after something with, you know, that's on its way out anyway. Right? That's what the enemy does. Separate, and then they isolate and kill. So let's not compromise. Let's, you know what? Hey, guys. We are not perfect. Let me just close. We're not perfect. No one is. No one is. We are not going to. I mean, I, 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 I can go six, maybe seven hours without sinning. Maybe. I think at most eight. No, not on a good day. Then I wake up. 
way. And sometimes my dreams are simple. Whoa, what? I don't know where that dream came from. I was asleep. Shoot. <laughs> About seven, six, six. Let's go six. Then I wake up. Shoot. But you know what? That is where God's grace comes in. And so if you've been compromising, guys, don't play with fire. We tell our children that. Don't do that because you're going to get burned. Don't play with that. Don't play with sin. Don't, don't toy with it. You know what, man? One more time ain't going. No, it might. That might be your last time. Yeah, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't. The things that are done in darkness, you know, what are the things in your life that nobody knows about? Maybe someone needs to know. Maybe you need to tell somebody. Yeah. Martin Mueller, Pastor Mueller in Germany said this. He said, first they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I'm not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I did not speak out because I'm not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Yeah, the evangelical church in Germany, for the most part, compromised. And they lived with that regret. They lived with the heaviness of knowing that this happened on their watch. And not all of them. There was a large contingent that didn't, that fought it with their lives. And that's why we have to fight sin and compromise with everything we got, but by his strength, by his strength, by his strength. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for, for this amazing example. Lord, we are imperfect men and women. We are. We're imperfect, not perfect, imperfect. We are vessels that struggle, and, we, and it's a war that goes on in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, Lord, help us to choose you. Help us to choose you. And, and, Lord, I pray for anybody here tonight that has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as their, as their God. And, 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 Lord, you're not sitting on the throne of their life, Lord. If tonight you, you in your heart, would say, man, man, I, I did not know that I was this sergeant for Satan. Huh, I might have been a colonel or a lieutenant for Satan. I did not know that. But tonight you understand that God's grace and mercy has called out and reached out. And, and grabbed a hold of you. And you would say, yes, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, be my master, be my owner. And, and if you've never done that or if you've just been stuck in compromise and, 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 and you're saying, man, I need God's strength and God's power right now to get out of this mud. Because that's what it's like. It's like running in mud when you compromise. It takes a ton of energy and you don't get very far. Plus, you get real dirty. Someone has to pull you out of it. It's like quicksand. And if that's you, and you would say, Jesus, save me, would you raise your hand? Anyone at all? I just want to give you that opportunity. Yes, Jesus. Save, save me tonight. Save me tonight. Anybody else? Save me, Lord. Lord, I give my heart and my life to you every bit of it. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Ah, lead us by your spirit. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. God.